But all good stories uh, have good opening lines to draw us in. So maybe someone starts telling you a story and they say, once upon a time, there was a castle and a princess and a dragon. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in on this fairy tale. Or maybe they start off and they say, you know, around a campfire, it was a dark and stormy night, and you know what's coming. Okay, this is going to be a scary story that's coming at me. Or maybe the, the screen comes on, the letters start scrolling up the page, and you read, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and you know what's coming. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> These opening lines, they set the tone, they create anticipation, they draw you in. And this is no less true in the Bible. The story of stories, the book of books, in the beginning, can you finish it? God, the heavens, and the earth. Yeah, you know it. These first words of the first verse of the Bible, they may be some of the most recognizable or known words in the whole book. We know how the book starts, or at least how this first verse starts, which is good. Uh, because having a good grasp of the beginning is critical to understanding what follows. And this is true of Genesis, this is true of the Old Testament, this is true of, again, the whole Bible, and it's true of our lives. Now this morning we are starting a series uh, on the book of Genesis. We're not going to do all 50 chapters. We're going to cover chapters 1 to 11. We're going to take 10 weeks as a church to dig into this portion of Scripture. There'll be a little brief break in there around celebrate generosity and having some friends come and, and share uh, in the middle of October. But around that, 10 weeks to dig into chapters 1 to 11, uh, and this portion of scripture that is often referred to as the primeval history. It's the story before the story. Fans of comic books or comic book movies call this an origin story. Genesis 1 to 11 is the story of how we got here. It's the story that introduces the main conflict and the main plot lines of the Bible, and therefore the main drama of all of human history and the main drama of our lives. For believers, these 11 chapters are central to understanding our salvation and how it is that we even came to be in need of it. Now, all this talk about the story can sound as if what we are studying is a fairy tale or a myth, and at times, what we will find in these chapters may appear or feel like that when we read it. One Hebrew scholar said uh, that what we find in Genesis is fable-like or legendary and sometimes residually mythic. He says, the style of the writing invites us to hear the echo of epic poetry in its cadences. As we spend time in these chapters, uh, it will be quite appropriate to enjoy the reading. It's good reading. But these chapters, they are more than just a compelling story they are also true. So we should not let the literary aspects of the passages lead us to conclude that these are merely myth or merely legend. No, they tell us of real things that happened in time and space, and the characters we find are real people. So one danger in reading this is thinking that it's merely a fairy tale. The other danger we might run into is expecting this to be a, a scientific textbook, which it is not. Many people make the mistake of turning to Genesis and expecting it to ask and answer the same questions that we are asking. Where they go to expecting it to be primarily concerned with biological or geological descriptions, which it isn't really concerned with that. 
Genesis speaks truthfully about how the world came to be, but its primary concern is relational. It is considering God and his people. So I'm excited to get into this. Now, kids in the room, I'm actually glad you're here for the first Sunday. Uh, Normally on Sundays, you have story and song. We're not going to have story and song in here uh, this morning. But as I read the text, it may feel kind of like a song. There's repetition and rhythm. And I want you to listen, kids, for certain phrases that are repeated over and over again. Kids, as we read this, you're going to hear, and God said, let there be, and there was, and God saw that it was good, over and over and over again. Now, kids, you can put your papers down for just two minutes, if you, actually, it'll be longer than that, but two minutes if you don't mind. Kids, I need your help, okay? Uh, I need your help in two ways. This passage, as, as we read it, it's meant for us to experience the goodness of what God has made. So kids, look at me, eyes on me. Elsie, I know you're playing in the back. Look at me, I need you, okay? I need your help. When I read, I'm going to say, and God saw, and kids in the room, I want you to say that it was good. Can we try that? And God saw. Yeah, that's good. Kids, let's try that one more time. Feel free to yell it out if you want. And God saw. Good. When I read the passage in just a second, feel free. Every time I say, and God saw, yell that out. You have permission to yell in church, okay? Now, the second thing, kids, I need you to do. Uh, God is going to create all this stuff over six days. So, kids, I need your help counting. If you don't mind getting your fingers out and getting ready, we're going to count along the way. And as I read, you're going to hear me say, over and over again, you're going to hear me say, there was evening, and there was morning, and then we'll count, And we'll say together, the first day or the second day. So kids, if you have enough fingers for this, you need six fingers. Hopefully you have six fingers still. Um, We're going to count the days that God creates. Okay, so kids, again, let's practice that together and then we'll get into it. And God saw... Thank you, thank you. Okay, I was, I was worried for a second. And then fingers up, fingers up. There was evening, there was morning, the... First day. Good. We're going to do that together. All right. With that, let's get into this. Let's read Genesis 1. Uh, 1 to 2, 3. Kids, please help me. All right. Here we go. This is what we find in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw. Thank you. Let's try that again. And God saw. That's right. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Kids, get your fingers ready. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Good. And God said. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Okay, kids, you're kind of falling off the wagon. You're enjoying your papers. Maybe help me out. And God said... 
Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw... You know, Alex is helping the kids out. I appreciate that. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw... And there was evening... And there was morning the third day. Yes, that's right. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw, I'm hearing the parents more than the kids, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Yes. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that... Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, kids, thank you. Uh, That was so good. Appreciate your help. As we start off our time in Genesis this morning, the big questions that Genesis asks are not, you know, what about the dinosaurs? Or, you know, what about the Cambrian explosion? And what about genetic code? Now, the questions being answered are, what does this tell us about God? And what does this tell us about us? So to answer these questions, we're going to look at three phrases that will help us kind of work through this passage and make sense of God and make sense of ourselves. So the three phrases that we're going to help shape our time are these. In the beginning, God. Second point, God created the heavens and the earth. Third point, and God said. And as we work through this, when we put it all together, what we'll see is this. Okay, this is our main point for the morning. Before the foundation of the world, God set his love on you. Let me say that again. Before the foundation of the world, God has set his love on you. That's the point of this chapter. You ready? Let's get into it. Point one, in the beginning, God. Now, some have said that these four words, in the beginning, God, are the four most offensive words in the Bible. Why would they say that? Well, because they say that your story doesn't begin with you. That you are neither the originator of your story You're not the author. You're not even the main character. Because in the beginning, God. That means that this book and this story is about him. Before we get any action, before we get any verbs, we learn this foundational truth. The beginning begins with God. Or we could say that God was there at the beginning, which means God was there before the beginning. Before there was sun, moon, and stars, before there was a Milky Way galaxy, before there was you, or me, or Caesar, or Samson, God was there. Or as Moses writes in Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The God of the universe preceded the universe. It's amazing. Now, someone once asked Martin Luther, the reformer, they were chatting and they asked him, you know, what what was God doing? What did he occupy himself with before he made the world? And Luther replied uh, sarcastically, he said, oh, he was cutting switches with which to flog, you know, inquisitive questioners. Um, Don't worry, I don't think that or believe that. Uh, Despite Luther's quip, I actually think that question is really important. What was God doing before he made the world? How you answer that question actually makes all the difference with what what follows. There's a wonderful little book I would commend you called Delighting in the Trinity. It's by a British author named Michael Reeves. Really, I mean, it's it's deep theology, but it's short and it's funny. Um, And in it, the author asks, he says, what was God doing before creation? What was he doing before the beginning? And in this book, Reeves, the author, he answers from the scriptures. He says, God was existing In triune bliss. You say, okay, what does that mean? Well, God, the God of the Bible, is a trinity. He is one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three gods, 
not three modes of being, but one God and three persons. And this triune God, this Godhead, existed before the world began in perfect love and harmony for all eternity. How do we know this? Well, you read John chapter 17, maybe you remember this when we were there. Jesus is praying to the Father, okay? Second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus, praying to the Father. And he says, hey, I've glorified you, you're glorifying me. I'm longing to get back to the glory that I had before we made the world, before the world was made. So before the world was made, the Father and the Son were glorifying one another. You keep reading that prayer, and later on, Jesus is praying, and he's saying, may they be one as we are one. Would they be loved? Would they know the love you had for me before the foundation of the world? Before the world began, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were loving each other and honoring, glorifying each other, delighting in one another. The the God, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's it's confusing, I know. It, It blows my mind. But God existed in relationship before anything else existed. God existed in love before anything else existed. That's what God was doing. He was, God was enjoying being satisfied in himself. Now maybe you're still asking, so what? Why is that important? Well, hang with me. Michael Reeves writes this. And he says, imagine for a moment that you are God. I'm sure you've done it before. Now think, would you... In your divine wisdom and power, ever want to create a universe? And if so, why? Because you feel lonely and you want some friends? Because you like being pampered and you want some servants? It's one of the profoundest questions to ask. If there is a God, why is there anything else? Why the universe? Why us? Why might God decide to have a creation? See, if God was a lonely God or if God was a selfish, needy God, well, then he would create maybe out of codependency. He would make the world to satisfy his own needs or maybe to stroke his own ego. But if God is and was in a loving triune relationship, well, then creation isn't out of need, but it's out of something else. God creates out of the overflow of his love and personhood, not out of need. And what we read after these first four words, it's not desperate need. It's not hunger for attention. No, what follows is fervent joy. It's a God creating and just delighting in what he's made because he's already delighting, you know, in what he could come up with. He says, let there be, and there was, and God saw, and it was good. Let there be, and there was, and God saw, and it was good. It's joy repeated over and over and over again. God is totally satisfied in himself and totally overjoyed within the persons of the Trinity, within himself, and he creates to share that joy with a people that he aims to bring into relationship with himself. Remember, because God is triune, God is love. A a single monad God cannot be love. You need something else to love. But a a Trinity, that kind of God can be love. God is love. So it would not be inappropriate to hear verse 1 saying, in the beginning, love created the heavens and the earth. All of creation has flowed out of the love of the triune God. And this brings us to point two. Point two, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is where things get really fun. In the poetry that follows, 
We get all the details, but in verse 1, we see that God made everything. Okay? Heavens and earth. Okay? English nerds know that that's, it's called a merism. Okay? It's two parts that, that are supposed to represent the whole. So if you say, oh, near and far, that means everywhere. If you say the whole kit and caboodle, well, no one knows what that means, but it means everything. Okay? When, you, when you have you know, uh, the living and the dead, it means everybody. Okay? Heaven and earth means everything. We'll pause for a sec. God made everything. He made it all. That's, that's what we find in Genesis 1. God made everything. Kids, pause from your work pages for one second and say, God made everything. Kids, turn to your parents. You can even point at them if you want and say, God made everything. Yes, that's what they need to hear. It's so important because this is what distinguishes the biblical worldview from the other worldviews of the ancient world and the other worldviews of today. And it also explains why Genesis 1 was written the way that it was. See, when we read the descriptions of the various days, we might immediately in our heads try to start reconciling what we read with what we know from science. You know, that's not all bad. I think there are very coherent ways of, of, of doing that, but it's not the point of Genesis 1. Let me give you an example, okay? Sometimes a smart junior higher, or maybe an adult like me who acts like a junior higher, uh, will think, oh, I, I've got the teacher. I'm going to catch them in a contradiction. And they read Genesis 1 and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. On day one, God created light, but he doesn't create the sun and moon until day four. Hmm, aha, the Bible is for fools, so they say. Well, I would speak to myself or said junior higher and say, hey, just, just remember, the ancient peoples who, who read this book we're not stupid. They could look up at the sky and ask the same question. They were not so stupid to say, oh yeah, it just must have happened. No, no, no. There must have been a different point to why this was written the way that it was written. So if we can set aside our self-satisfaction for a second and ask, what does this tell us? It tells us that light doesn't ultimately begin with the sun. God created everything. The sun does not create light. Yes, that's what God put there to, to give us light. But the sun does not create light. God created light. Now this matters because in the ancient world, people worshipped the sun. And they worshipped the moon as gods. The constellations and the stars, they were thought of as the host of heaven, a host of gods to be worshipped for giving us their light and other things. And the author of Genesis is saying, no, no, no. There are no other gods. The sun and moon they don't even give you light. God does. If you're still bothered about the days and the lights, come ask me after the service. I can offer you one explanation for how that could work, but I'm not going to go into it now. But get this. We need to get this. God made everything. It's true of the light and the stars, and it's true for the waters. So in, in Babylonian and Canaanite creation stories, there was a heroic God who defeated, he conquered the evil God of chaos, the God of the water, in this cosmic battle. And having driven the chaos back, life could emerge, but there's always this threat that the waters would overtake and, and chaos would reign again. Well, in Genesis, the author says, nah, there's no battle. There's no chaos. God merely speaks, and he makes the water. And he makes the sea creatures, the, the, the you know, sea monsters, and he calls them good. Do you see it? 
When we say God made everything, it's a profoundly countercultural statement in the ancient world and today. But it's not just theologically interesting, it intersects with our lives. Again, in the ancient world, people didn't just worship the sun and stars, they believed their lives were controlled by the movement of the stars and the fates. Simultaneously, some believed they weren't accountable for their bad actions. You know, I can't be blamed for what I did. It's just chaos, you know, rearing its head again. It's this looming threat that at times would just pop up in my life. Now, we may think they're silly, but we're not all that far off today. Open, you know, your newspaper. You can still read astrology stuff. It's alive and well. People are trying to read the stars. On the flip side, scientific materialism says that ultimately we're controlled by our biology. It's just, it's just evolution that's making us do what we're doing, evolutionary impulses. You're not accountable for what you feel or do or desire. But the Bible comes along and says, no, 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 God made everything. He is sovereign. And even more specifically, God made you. Which means you are ultimately accountable to him for your actions. We are not beholden to the powers of the stars or chaotic waters. We're not beholden to fate or entropy or meaninglessness. No, we are held by the sovereign creator and to him we are responsible for how we conduct our lives. But this brings us to our final point. So point one, in the beginning, God. Point two, God created the heavens and the earth. Point three, and God said. Kids, if you're still with me and you haven't fallen asleep, I'm going to teach you a little Latin. You ready? You want to learn a different language? Learn some Latin. Say the phrase, ex nihilo. Can you say that? Ex nihilo. Yes, very good. You guys speak Latin. You're amazing. Okay? It means from nothing or out of nothing. And when we talk about God creating everything, the amazing part is that God started with nothing and then everything came out. We were just in Mammoth uh, this last week getting to hike and enjoy God's creation. You see these giant 10,000-foot mountains, and, and there's glaciers on top, and there's rivers, and there's trees, and it's amazing. And none of it was there before God made it. Just out of nothing, God came up with that. He spoke, and it was made. And we rejoice in what he was made. It's amazing. Now, kids, think with me. Kids, how many of you like to build things? Who likes to build in the room? Okay, What do you like to build with, Mac? Legos. How many like to build with Legos? Okay. What else? What else do you build with? What else do you like to build with? Maybe Lincoln Logs or Magnetiles. Magnetiles are pretty sweet. Um, yeah, lots of things that we can build with. What do you like to make with your Legos or your Magnetiles or your Lincoln Logs? What do you make? Mac, what do you make? The U.S. All of the U.S. Navy out of Legos. Amazing. What kind of budget do you have for that? That's, that's very impressive. A couple billion dollars. What else? What else do we like to, to build? What do you like to make, kids? What, what do you want to build? Yeah, Shiloh. You like, and what, you like to build with blocks, and what do you make with your blocks? Yeah, make castles, towers, of course. Okay, others in the room. How many of you like to do art, kids? Do you like to do art? Okay, yeah, you got, like to do art. What kind of art do you like? What do you like to do? Oh, you like to, awesome, you draw, and what do you like to draw? Dinosaurs, awesome. Okay, well, who else likes to do art? Yeah, Henry, what do you, what do you like to, to make? Anything. Love it. If whatever comes out of your mind, you make, I love it. And what, what do you use? Do you, do you draw, do you paint, do you sculpt? 
You cut. Oh, colored pencils. Awesome. I love it. Okay, kids or parents, how many of you like to cook? Does anybody like to cook? Oh, Amelia, you like to cook. What do you like to make? You like to make eggs, but you don't like to eat eggs. Okay, fascinating. Okay, you'll be a skinny chef, one of the few. Now, think about it now with me, kids. Okay, think. When God made the world, there were no Legos. When God made the world, there was no magnetiles to make mountains with. There were no watercolors with which to paint the sky. There's no seeds to to plant a garden that you could then have tomatoes and make bruschetta. No. God had to make the things from which he then would fashion the creation out of. And he did all of that by speaking. God made. He spoke into the nothing. And everything came to be. Now, What you believe about your origin affects what you believe about yourself. And there were some, again, ancient myths that said, you know, there's these two gods that battled it out. And, you know, there's a good God and a bad God. And the good God killed the bad God. And and the one that was killed, you know, his like bloody body is laying there. And the good God took that bad God's body and from that made humans. And humans are made from, you know, it's weird, the dead flesh of this slain God. But they believed whenever people did evil things, it's because they were made of that dead God. They were made of that bad stuff. And that's why they do bad things. And we read the Bible and we say, okay, are, are you made of flawed material? Are your bad actions the results of, of being made from faulty stuff? Are you a lemon? Are your actions the result of forces outside of your control? No, what does the Bible say? It says, and God said, let there be, and there was, and God saw what he had made, and it was good. You were made out of good stuff. We worship a God who speaks, and when God speaks, the end result is good. Let me say that again. We worship a God who speaks, and when God speaks, the end result is good. I loved our testimony time. Why? Not because you learned some new insight. No, because God spoke to you through his word. You have his word in your lap and and God spoke to you through it and it can change your life. And I love hearing about that in each other's lives. A major theme we will see over the next 10 weeks is that of God's speech framing how the story unfolds. You can't read Genesis 1 to 11 without noticing over and over and over again the God who speaks. Creation begins with God speaking the world into existence. Then God commands certain actions and he forbids others. And then drama unfolds as the first humans question what God has said. And they're forced to decide, will they listen to the snake or they listen to God? Each passage in the narrative, it's punctuated or it hinges on the God who speaks. The theme will arise over and over and over again. And the question for us every single week will be, okay, God speaks, will we listen? When God speaks, good comes out. And the question is, when God speaks, will we listen? Now, our passage this week, again, it reminds us that when God speaks, the end result is good. Good, good, good. Very good. But at this point, maybe some of us are a little unnerved. Because as we look at our lives, there's much that we look at And we say, well, that's not good. There's much that in our lives that causes us to wonder, okay, God was there in the beginning, fine. 
But where is God in this? Some of us look at our lives and we consider our prayers. And it feels like for too long our prayers have gone unanswered. And we wonder, okay, God spoke the world into being, but why is he silent now? We heard the repetition when we read it. Good, 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 very good. And we wonder, why is there bad in the world? Why is there bad in me? Again, in the the coming weeks, we'll see the fall and the entrance of sin into the world. We'll get some explanations. The actions of our first parents that set in motion the drama of the whole Bible, the drama of our lives. But I don't want to jump ahead this morning. I want us to consider whether there's any hope from this passage, from these verses for us. And I believe there is. First, this passage says that that the discomfort in our lives, our discomfort with the state of the world today, it's actually evidence of the truth of this passage. See, when we are discontent, when we ache with the brokenness of the world, when we ache of the brokenness of our own lives, when we long for peace and for justice and for love, we're not longing for a fairy tale. We're not entertaining wishful thinking, pie-in-the-sky stuff. No, we are crying out for our universe to return to its most fundamental fabric. There's something in us that longs for the world to become what it was made to be. That's what this passage tells us. Second, this passage tells us that you are not the first one to desire good. Maybe you feel a lack right now, but you long for it. You're desiring good. Well, you can know you're not the first one to want that. God was there in the beginning, and God created because he wanted good. He precedes your longing. Your days of trouble are neither the beginning nor the end of the story. No. Before all of this, in the beginning, God was there. And he set his love on you. One of my favorite people to read about Genesis is a German theologian from just after World War II. His name is Helmut Tielecki. Great name. But he writes this. He says, the men of the Bible were not trying to pierce the primeval fog because of biological and geological curiosity. What interests them in the beginning of the world is not the condition of the world before history began, but rather the certainty that here, before the foundation of the world, there begins the history of a great love and a great search. Here there begins to take shape those higher thoughts that God is thinking even about my life. Long before I can think of God and love him, he has already thought of me and anticipated me. Friends, that's the good news and the hope we find at the beginning. (laughs) We go all the way back and we find a God who is love and who creates out of the overflow of love and sets the world in motion with the intentions of a loving relationship. And our unwillingness to listen to this loving God speak will not ultimately thwart his purposes. So you keep reading the Bible, you get to Ephesians 1, and it also talks about the beginning. It says that before the foundation of the world in love, he planned to adopt you through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. 
He saw what was coming and he planned your redemption. The God who spoke the world into existence, that, well, that God, that word became flesh. He entered the world that we might have redemption through his blood. As Ephesians 1 says, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his purpose for which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, heavens and the earth. See, in the beginning, God purposed to unite heaven and earth and all that he made through Christ. In the beginning, God spoke that you might be with him through Christ. In the beginning, God loved and he set his love on you. Friends, when we read in the beginning, again, it may sound like once upon a time. It may sound like the beginning of a fairy tale, a story too good to be true. But what we find here in these pages, if we read on to the end, well, we could call it true myth. It's a real fairy tale. It's true. And it's very good. 